Hello, Energy Radio podcast listeners. Before we get to the next episode, I would like to ask a quick favor from all of you. If you're getting value out of the podcast we are providing, we would love it if you could provide a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you are streaming on. This would help us a great deal. Also, if you could provide us feedback, comments, or ideas, email to matt at cemeng.ca. That would be fantastic. Enjoy the next episode. Welcome to Energy Radio. Today we bring together uh, two things that when I first heard about it 12 plus years ago, I thought those things don't uh, belong together, but uh, the team involved have uh, made it work and we're going to hear that story today. But before we get into those two things that uh, don't belong together and now are together, at least in my mind, uh, welcome my co-host and uh, kind of the executive producer of the show, uh, Lisa Katz. Thank you very much, Matt. How are you today? Good. Good to be recording in person. Uh, yes. At least two, yeah. two-thirds of the show. Yeah. Uh, always a good thing. And uh, excited about this conversation, which I'd love for you to tee up. Excited for it because, as you know, and as I've said on this show before, you never forget your first love. And this is a topic that... Uh, was one of my first uh, roles or uh, forays into the energy industry. So very, very excited for uh, the topic and our guest um, and who knows where this will go. Yeah, no, that's great. And, uh, you know, I'm becoming, as you know, increasingly interested in biogas, which now sort of lets people know what we're going to be talking about today, although it's a very, very, very interesting project. Uh, but welcome to the show, Rob Grand. You are the uh, general manager of ZooShare Biogas Cooperative. Uh, so it's uh, it's nice to have you on. And uh, yeah, welcome. Is this your first uh, podcast that you've ever done, Rob? Or you know what, Lisa, I've done a ton of media in the you know in my uh, throughout my career, but this may be the first podcast I've actually been on. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so awesome. looking forward to it. Good, good. Well, we'll hopefully uh, make this exciting for you. It's it's usually a lot of fun, and uh, you know Matt and I get to learn a lot, you know, from these things, and hopefully our listeners do too. So, uh, with that, maybe you can give us a little bit of a a background on you know your career and how you got to ZooShare. Uh, maybe let's start there if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you the short version. The long version would just take up way too much time, but. Um, <laughs> So right now I'm I'm currently the the GM at ZooShare, but um, early in my career I I started a uh, my own business. I ran a, a green a green lifestyle products uh, business, starting off with retail. I had uh, a number of stores. Um, eventually expanded out into an online business and and built up a commercial wholesale division and uh, was basically the the largest green products retailer in Canada and uh, ran that for probably 20 years I believe so I, I was very young when I started you know young sort of idealistic guy wanting to save the world save the planet and um, and that's something that sort of followed me through my career you know I've always looked for opportunities that um, that make an impact, that make a difference. And so, Rob, is that a brand that we know? Um, well, maybe not anymore, but definitely sort of in the 90s up to 
up to about 2015, it was uh, a company called Grassroots. And um, so Grassroots was um, basically provided people with the products and the information they needed to lead a green lifestyle. So cool. The the store and and the online site and our our commercial wholesale was all about selling things that people needed to lead a green lifestyle. Everything from biodegradable cleaners to recycled office supplies Mm -hmm. to, you know, organic cotton bedding, sheets, towels, everything for the home. And um, we distributed product throughout North America. And uh, so, yeah, it was, you know, it was an amazing project for me, a great way to uh, sort of go off on my own and have my own business. Um, And then, um, you know, I ended up selling that uh, about seven or eight years ago and took a took a little time off uh, for myself to um, to enjoy life outside of work and uh, spend a bit more time with my kids. And then I, an opportunity popped up for me with an organization called SolarShare, which is very similar. It's, it's sort of a, a cousin or a, almost a brother to ZooShare, what I'm doing now. And SolarShare is Canada's largest renewable energy co-op. They own, uh, just now I think they own just over 50 solar sites across Ontario. Oh, wow. Both uh, ground mount and uh, and rooftop sites, and uh, so I was, you know, I had the good fortune of of um, working for SolarShare. Fantastic organization, great people, smart, smart board of directors, and uh, worked with them for a while, and um, eventually left SolarShare and uh, moved in, into my current role with ZooShare, which. Again, similar organization. It's a it's a renewable energy cooperative, not for profit, and uh, but in the biogas space. So, ZooShare is um, is um, you know it's uh, you know Canada's. I think their build is we bill it as Canada's largest zoo based um, biogas plant. So we're right beside the uh, the Toronto Zoo here in Toronto, and um, so my role at ZooShare is very similar to what I did at SolarShare. You know, I'm doing communications, um, education, and, and programming education is a big part of my work. Uh, of course, reporting to my board of directors, uh, fundraising, financial management, um, and business development are, are sort of what I do at, uh, at ZooShare. So well, that's, that's a well, short version. Yeah, no, I love it. And before we get into the the nuts and bolts of the of the project itself and and what you've what you're doing at, at the zoo, wh- why does the I'm fascinated by the co-op model as it relates to renewable energy. Can can you talk to us a little bit about you know how that works and and why it works really? Yeah, so you know what the uh, it is a very interesting model for uh, for a business. Um, so co-ops have been around for for ages. You know, started in the early days. You you are probably familiar with grocery co-ops, farm co-ops. Um, certainly, there are. Um, you know, you a lot of you may be a lot of your listeners may be um, members of uh, credit unions. Mm-hmm. Um, the cooperators, for example, mm-hmm. is it's an insurance co-op, and so the business model 
You know, there's there's an organization in Toronto called the Toronto Renewable Energy Co-op. And the Toronto Renewable Energy Co-op, or TREC, is sort of an incubator, I would say, for for the I would uh, for renewable energy co-ops. So they they incubated uh, something called Windshare, which a lot of people might be familiar with. It's the big uh, wind turbine at the CNE in downtown Toronto. Yes, and uh, and they also were an incubator for SolarShare, um, and subsequently an incubator for ZooShare. And so they're they sort of, you know, they certainly the organization embraced the cooperative model, and 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 this is a model that um, it's it's about people coming together and sort of creating community and and um, addressing sort of common issues, whether those are economic or social or or sometimes cultural, environmental. Um, it's a business model that that as I've sort of noted, sort of operates in, in a number of sectors throughout the economy, both in urban settings as well as rural settings. And, and the model is, it's again, really sort of community focused. It seeks to balance um, people with the planet as, as well as, um, as profits. And just to give, you know, just to take a bit of a dive into the cooperative model, um, co-ops are sort of led by a, a set of principles. Um, and, and when I say co-ops, I, I mean not just Ontario-based co-ops, but internationally. Co-ops are, are governed by or, or sort of led by a set of principles. Um, there are seven of them. And uh, so voluntary and, and open membership. So co-ops are, are open to people regardless of, you know, race, religion, gender, social, political, religious views. Um, they're, they're very democratic uh, in the way that they're controlled. Um, and they offer member, member participation. Um, in, in the case of ZooShare, and we'll probably dive into this later, um, most of our members have an, an economic stake, um, have a financial stake in, in the project. Um, co-ops offer a, um, a degree of autonomy and independence. Um, you know, they're, they're certainly they're, they're controlled by their members, but it, it gives them a, a, there's a bit of autonomy from, um, sort of government at, 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 to a point, as well as the financial markets to a point. Um, education is a big key of what I do, and it's a big key of what co-ops do. Um, and then cooperation am among various co-ops. You know, we um, there's a, an organization here in Ontario called, called Ontario Co-op, uh, or on, on Co-op, and um, they sort of facilitate co-ops um, um, sort of working together to strengthen the cooperative movement. And lastly, there's a concern, there's community. You know, co-ops work for um, the sustainable development of communities. Um, and so it's the, those guiding principles, are, it's an, it, it was an opportunity, I think, to create a business that, you know, is not just for making profit or making money for shareholders it's it's about um improving 
um, the social and economic and environmental conditions of our communities um, uh, through it on, you know, in, in the case of SolarShare through it Ontario, in the case of ZooShare in our local community um, out by the Toronto Zoo. So it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating model. And instead of being responsible to stakeholders, we're responsible to our members who are the owners of the co-op. That was so a very no, good review. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's I could go on forever about about the cooperative movement, and it is it does have a deep history here in Ontario, and uh, you know there, you know, some people I'm sure are familiar with Mountain Equipment Co-op, which unfortunately yeah. is no longer a co-op, but those that were members, you know, you. you and it gave you access to the products at MEC and and those products were priced um, I, I would say more more affordably than a lot of outdoor gear and it also gave people um, customers the opportunity to vote to vote in on issues to vote in the board of directors and it, it gives the gives people or members um, the opportunity to have an impact and uh, that's that's you know I think that's part of the attraction of our members to to um, to ZooShare is that they have a degree of of ownership in the project. So Rob, let, let's uh, let's talk now about ZooShare. Like what what is ZooShare? You know, in terms of the actual project, can you share some of the sort of technical highlights? Uh, I I think it's a fascinating project. So dive into that if you can for us. Yeah, ZooShare basically is a uh, it's a, 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 a biogas plant. Um, so we ZooShare. I I should clarify at the start. So I'm the general manager of the ZooShare Biogas Co-op. So I run the co-op. So okay. I may so I take care of you know our 800 plus members and um, and look for um, you know development opportunities with the project and. Uh, develop partnerships um, uh, with various businesses and not-for-profits and community organizations, things like that. I, I don't actually run the biogas plant. Um, much smarter people than I do that. Um, so, but ZooShare um, Biogas Co-op is the 51% owner of a 500 kilowatt anaerobic digester that is um, again adjacent to the Toronto Zoo here in Toronto it's um, so the the um, the co-op holds a 20-year feed-in tariff or fit contract with uh, with hydro and so we have a contract to sell electricity to the grid um, over a 20-year period at a predetermined price um, so that you know that fit contract gives us a bit of financial security, makes it a little easier to raise money for sure. Um, and so the other 49% owner of the plant is um, Oshawa Power and Utility Corp. Mm -hmm. And so the the co-op and OPUC um, have a sort of a limited partnership that that govern the operations of the biogas plant and they have contracted with an organization called Enerforge to operate the plant. Enerforge is actually a division of OPUC. Uh, so hmm. there's, there's a lot of close tie-ins there, but um, so 
I'm not the guy pressing the buttons at the plant. <laughs> um, those are the folks at Enterforge that, that do the operations, the day-to-day -day operation at the plant. Cool. So, so you've got, you know, at a high level, you have manure that is obviously going into the anaerobic digestion plant facility. And then from there, you're generating, obviously, biomethane that is going into a CHP system and that uh, that electricity is being sold back to the grid uh, through that that OPUC, uh, as you mentioned, kind of contract. What's what's being done with the waste heat, Rob? Do you know? So you know what? I'll I'll just elaborate on that model because I love I love the circularity of the the operation. So we we re we basically divert about fifteen thousand tons of inedible food waste from landfill every year to feed wow. the digester. We also take about 2,000 tons of manure from the Toronto Zoo, and that is our feedstock. And, and sorry, Rob, just one second. The, on the manure side, what what animals is it specifically from? Is it is it a combination of literally all the animals, or yep. they, do they limit what what uh, what types of manure they're they're bringing nope. in? It's uh, you know, to the best of my knowledge, it's uh, they you know the they basically the folks at the zoo scoop up the manure from you know I guess all the different um, different um, areas of the zoo. And uh, we get deliveries a couple times a week to our manure shed. And the manure, sh it's all sort of dumped in this shed. And then it's, um, it's moved into the receiving tanks as on an as needed basis. So we take about 2000 tons of manure um, every year. So this is manure that would otherwise, you know, they would probably use it, um, you know, perhaps in their landscaping around the zoo, things like that. But uh, here's an opportunity to take what is generally a waste product and turn it into something useful, turn it into electricity. So again, 15,000 tons of food waste, 2,000 tons of manure. We generate, we put it in the, this anaerobic digester, creates methane, uh, goes through a CHP unit, creates electricity that is fed into the grid, and then the end product, of course, is digestate, which is an amazing fertilizer. So we distribute that end product, the digestate, to local farmers in the Rouge Valley. Mm. We then use it to grow food, mm. which, you know, eventually food comes back to us to feed the plant. So the circularity of the, the operational model is amazing. And it's it's so exciting. They're basically we're 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 eliminating waste here. We're we're turning something that that is otherwise waste that goes to landfill creates um, very potent greenhouse gases. We're basically diverting all that to create uh, renewable energy. That this description of the manure reminds me of a a funny story related to this project. About 13 years ago, when the feed-in tariff program came out, um, I, I met Daniel Bita the first yeah. time. So Daniel uh, was kind of the, the visionary for the co-op model uh, at ZooShare, and I, I've, I've come to know him well and, and think extremely highly of, of him. But in those early days, I thought, 
what is going like because i you know i grew up my father worked for an independent power producer i you know a hardcore you know capitalist you know at heart thinking what is what is this guy doing developing a co-op model at the zoo uh anyways you know here he, he made it work and and had the vision and, and a great idea and was much smarter and still is much smarter than i am uh, but I remember in those early days, I don't know if either of you or our listeners will remember, that's when Bob Barker had his bent on, you know, animals in captivity, particularly elephants. Uh -huh. And so his lobbying efforts got the elephants moved out of the Toronto oh, really? Zoo. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. And, and it was a big uproar because everybody was involved in the project was saying, well, there goes, you know, all of our manure. Like that was the biggest chunk <laughs> yeah, of our yeah. manure was the elephants. <laughs> Uh, but clearly, you've been able to uh, connect, for, collect from zebras and rhinos and bears and and all that stuff, and and still make a go of it. But I just thought, how can you develop a project when uh, a game show host from California yeah. can affect your feedstock supply? Like, what That's kind of development hilarious. is that? But uh, now yeah. it's just a fun story to tell. But uh, it's 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 a unique project, I'm sure, like no other in the world for for a lot of reasons, including that. Well, a lot of, you know, a lot of biogas plants definitely here in Ontario are actually farm based. So they're, you know, certainly using agricultural waste as feedstock, but also using animal manure as feedstock for their plants. So it's, um, you know, I, I would say the, the feedstock is not unique to biogas. Um, but what's unique is that, you know, our location, it's right beside the Toronto Zoo. So we've got a, a ready source right next door. Um, and, and I should mention, you know, the, the location of the plant is, it's fantastic because we're, we're right beside the Toronto Zoo and we're adjacent to the Rouge Urban National Park. Mm -hmm. So we've got this, this sort of collective of organizations whose role is to educate around conservation, the zoo, the Rouge Urban National Park and, uh, and Zoo Share. And um, so it's it's a it's a neat little pocket in northeastern Toronto um, that is you know doing a lot of work around education and, and conservation. And as I mentioned, the digestate, um, the end product, which is a great fertilizer, gets shipped out to farms that are actually in the Rouge Urban National Park. Um, mm. So th there are farmers who are leasing land from the federal government to farm the land to grow food and uh, we're providing uh, the fertilizer for that. Rob you mentioned education and, and that being a, a major tenant of both you know the zoo and the national park but also of the co-op. Practically speaking what does that look like for ZooShare either at the location or in the surrounding areas? What are some of the things you're doing to provide that education? So we, um, we work with a no another not-for-profit called Relay Education, who focuses on educating uh, youth, uh, grade school youth, about renewable energy. Mm. So they have programming or workshops that they do that um, educate kids about solar, uh, wind power, and we developed with them a biogas workshop as well. So that biogas workshop is given to school kids across Ontario and cool. uh, Relay is actually expanding um, their reach across Canada and looking into uh, the US as well. So our biogas workshops could go, the, the reach of them could go far beyond Ontario. Um, we also just started, um, I should mention, the plant just went live about a year and a half ago. 
Okay. So it's only been up and running since April 2021. But this year, uh, a lot of my focus was on creating uh, plant tours. So mm -hmm. opening up the, the facility to, uh, you know, certainly to our membership, they were sort of the, the guinea pigs in all this. We did the, the beta test with them. Um, so a lot of our, our membership have come by and taken the tours, but also opening it up to the general public. You know, there's, um, you know, having have, having had roles with both Solar Share and now Zoo Share, there there isn't a lot of opportunity within the GTHA to take people to sites to check out what what a solar array looks like or to check out what a what a wind turbine looks like. Never mind a biogas plant. So there, you know, we've got such a massive population here. Renewable energy is is the future. So we thought, okay, let's let's create an opportunity here for people to learn about renewable energy and where their electricity is coming from. Uh, so I developed these uh, these tours this summer. So we were running them every weekend, um, open to both, um, you know, open to members as well as the general public. Uh, and we also do private schools for corporate groups, community organizations, things like that. So it, you know, it's, uh, it is a working plant. So people, when people show up, they've got to sign the waivers and stuff like that, but we're able to sort of walk them through the, the process and teach them about what we do and and as well teach them about our, our business model and how we operate and how we started all that sort of stuff so it's it's a great opportunity again there aren't many facilities in the city in the GTHA you can go and actually see a, a an operating renewable energy plant so um, it's a unique opportunity and and again fits really well with with our neighbors, the Rouge Urban National Park and the Toronto Zoo. And so like Rob, if somebody actually, like our one of our listeners, for example, they wanted to actually, you know, have it get a tour organized, how do how does one go about doing that? Are they contacting you directly? Are they going to the ZooShare website? Like well, what what are they doing? Yeah, usually the, you know, it's um it's uh, friends of friends, word of mouth that has developed uh, over the past few months. Uh, or people find us on the website. So okay. zooshare.ca has a section on plant tours. So if, uh, you know, for example, we we gave a couple tours last week. One was to uh, folks at the Rouge Urban National Park. Uh, another tour was to a, a, a business group. Um, we do tours with, uh, with uh, we have a tour coming up with um, another cooperative who is getting a group together to come to the plant. So yeah, it's, you know, it, it's a great opportunity, I feel, to, to really get the word out about, um, about biogas and about what we're doing uh, at ZooShare. You know, our mission at, at ZooShare is to be a catalyst both through education and investment in the growth of community-owned biogas plants. So this is, the, the tours of the plant are, are a great opportunity to sort of fulfill that mandate. I think there's an opportunity to approach the zoo and say, why don't you sell a park path to right? the zoo customers and then they can, for an optional $5, they can get a, 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 tour. a, a tour of your facility. You get the whole life cycle. You see the animals and then you see, you know, where their, uh, their byproducts go. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, and then the Toronto Zoo is a is a partner of ours. Um, okay. And uh, so that is something that uh, that hopefully will be is we're working on for sure. Awesome. And um, and dumb, I should know this, but dumb question, like proximity wise, are you like you know you're clearly close enough to move manure back and forth, like you're right beside the one part of the zoo physically? We're I I don't know how long it's been since you've been to the Toronto Zoo, but. Um, Maybe it was your grade five class trip or something, but uh, <laughs> the, the Toronto Zoo is um, just north of the 401 up Meadowvale Road. And the zoo is on the left side or the west side of Meadowvale Road. And the biogas plant is on the east side or the right okay. side of Meadowvale. So okay. we're, we're sort of right, we're, we're right across the street. And, and again, adjacent to the Rouge Urban National Park. So one of the one of the Rouge Urban National Park, I don't know if you've hiked in the park, but it is unbelievable. Mm. It is, you know, five minutes into the park and you feel like you're in another world. You feel like wow. you're a million miles away. It's a it's actually a beautiful, beautiful feature of the city mm. of Toronto that I would say is is underutilized, underused. Right. But oh. anyway, there's a trail that runs right beside the biogas plant. So um huh. So we actually developed some signage because people would, you know, we're wondering what are these big dome-shaped buildings and yeah, yeah. You know, what's going on behind that berm there. And um, and what's that odor was another thing that yeah, popped up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we set up a sign and uh, on, the, on the trail that says, what's that smell? That's the smell of renewable energy. Um, oh, that's cool. And it's an educational piece, again, to help educate people who are walking the trail, who are kind of curious. And it just describes the fact that we, you know, divert 15,000 tons of food waste from landfill every year. We, we use 2,000 tons of manure from the zoo. We uh, help uh, eliminate 20,000 tons of greenhouse gases from the atmosphere through what we're doing. Um, and there's a, a link to a, a little feedbacks. Um, there's a QR code that links um, uh, people to a, uh, a questionnaire uh, regarding the odor of the plant. And that's time stamped. So when people give feedback saying, oh, it smells really bad or it doesn't smell at all, we can sort of the, the Enerforge folks can sort of say, okay, what was going on at that time on that day? And how can we alter the way we are operating to reduce or eliminate the odor? Mm. Um, so one thing we do is we take, uh, they try and take uh, feedstock deliveries first thing in the morning. Um, and, you know, the lids on the receiving tanks are always kept closed now. And, you know, there are a number of things we've, We've sort of implemented through feedback from our neighbors and, and through hikers in the Rouge Urban National Park to basically mitigate the odor in the uh, from the plant. We're, we're, we're doing our best to be good neighbors. Um, and, and also, it's, you know, that sign is a great educational piece. You know, people are learning about biogas and, and there's a link to our website. So great opportunity to, um, to sort of capture an audience. Rob, let's talk about RNG or renewable natural gas. There are many facilities like this really right around North America that, you know, are using that biogas. They are putting it through a CHP system. They're generating electricity. And then there's many who have either gotten rid of the CHP system 
and or in combination with the CHP system are diverting some of that gas, so in other words, not putting it through the combined heat and power system and upgrading it to renewable natural gas or pipeline quality standards and injecting that into the grid, uh, into the, the gas utility network. Uh, what, what is, is that something that ZooShare you know, has in its future? Have you guys thought about that, contemplated that? What, is, what does that look like? Yeah, I'm, you know, it's uh, it's definitely something that's been talked about at the at the LP level uh, between the you know the Sushare team and uh, the OPUC team. Um, that I I would say is in our future. You know, as as you said, we we create we create these gases, sixty five percent of which is methane, and so I think there is a great opportunity there to. To sort of purify that into to a 95 to 99% methane and feed it into uh, into the natural gas pipeline as renewable natural gas. We have actually an Enbridge pipe going right by the plant, so mm. it would be very, I would say, relatively easy for us to um, to make that happen. So that is, uh, you know, I would say in the, in this phase right now, we're a year and a half in. You know, we're. I would say the Enerforge team is still perfecting the the operations of the mm-hmm. plant, but uh, I, I think in the future you'll probably see an offering statement from ZooShare looking to raise money to incorporate uh, re- renewable natural gas into the project. Okay, and 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 so presumably that would be done through an expansion then, like you'd be yep. taking in more more waste products to to do that. Okay. Yeah, so we have room at the facility um, for expansion. Yeah. So uh, we'll see what that look looks like, and and that's that actually reminds me, you had asked something about about the um, the heat that we create and what we do with that. So. So that's actually an interesting feature as well. And, you know, in the process of, of creating biogas and generating electricity, there's a lot of heat. So rather than just le- letting that go into the, into the atmosphere, we harness that heat for our pasteurizing tanks. And there's also opportunity to um, perhaps sell that. Um, so that's another uh, potential revenue stream for uh, for the plant. The you know coincidentally, the Rouge Urban National Park is building a visitor center or interpretive center uh, right beside us, um, and it should be done in about five years. So there may be an opportunity for us to export the heat that we generate in the process to help heat the um, the interpretive center at the Rouge Urban National Park. Very cool. cool. So yeah. you mentioned April of 21, kind of go live date. Um, anecdotally, how's the last 18 months been? Been some learning challenges, been great um, to the extent that you can and, and are willing to share. What can you tell us about the first 18 months of operation? Yeah, I, I would say it's been, a, it's been a great learning experience. Um, you know, certainly I don't see most of it because I'm focused on the co-op. I'm not, I'm not set it down in the trenches doing the real work. Um, but definitely the, the Enerforge folks have, have um, had challenges along the way, but uh, things are looking, you know, we had a fan, we've had a fantastic summer. Um, and uh, I think that they've finally got the, uh, the magic recipe uh, in place 
and uh, the plant is running at, uh, at at a high percentage of capacity. So, and and just follow one quick follow up question. The challenge is often in biogas can be you know mechanical pumps and mixers. They could be yep. electrical with the grid, but but often they are biological in nature in terms of particularly in your case with a very diverse uh, menu coming from at least animals from all over the world. Uh, <laughs> out of curiosity, has it been challenges across the board or particularly on the biology side? Uh, I, I think the biology side is is pretty good. I would say the mechanical side is where okay. where there have been issues because when you take manure from the zoo, it's just, it's not pure manure. There are a bunch of contaminants in there, right? Uh -huh. There's the straw bedding. There's, you know, little toys that the that the <laughs> animals may be given to play with. Like, right. it's amazing what you find. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, yeah, you know, there's there are contaminants that come with accepting animal manure. And uh, so we um, brought in, I know the, the Interforge folks brought in a... Um, Sort of this agricultural grinder to sort of grind things up and and to help uh, get uh, get the product through the pumps. Um, but there definitely have been challenges on the manure side, um, mechanical challenges okay. for sure. Mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. You you mentioned earlier um, what in the conversation about renewable natural gas uh, a potential upcoming uh, call for you know, expanding the co-op or, or, or raising funds. Can, we, can you talk to us a little bit about how that financing works in the co-op? Like, is it, is it, you know, when, when I first started talking to Daniel, it sounded, I got the impression he was going door to door and getting hundred dollar checks from, <laughs> from everybody's grandmother kind of thing. Um, can you give us a, a Coles notes version of how you go about, you know, raising funds and, and how the, the business model works in a co-op like this? Yeah, you know, that's a that's a great question. And and we sort of touched on it before, you know, our members are our owners and, uh, you know, anybody can join. Um, there's a $10 fee to be a member of the co-op, but I would say 99% of our members are also investors. Mm -hmm. And so in order to raise the money to build the plant, uh, we went to basically the, we'll call it the community, and we sold what we call community bonds. And um, the bondholders are our members. And uh, so the idea is that they purchase these bonds that hold an interest rate and a term, like, uh, like traditional bonds. And ZooShare generates revenue through the tipping fees they receive from feedstock, um, receiving feedstock. There's a revenue stream from generating electricity. And then eventually we're hoping to monetize uh, the digest date as well. And so this revenue that comes in is used to pay back our bondholders mm. their principal plus interest. Mm. And so that that's the basic model. So we've got over 800 members who have invested uh, upwards of, I think, six or seven million dollars in the project. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, you, you referred to Daniel sort of knocking on doors and collecting $100 checks. The, um, uh, definitely, I think in the early days, it, you know, you, you had to sell the idea. Um, you know, it was, it's something that to the average person is, is unfat, like turning zoo manure into electricity. Like, you want me to invest in that? 
Um, but it, it caught on and, um, and uh, we, you know, the organization was able to raise the money they needed to build, uh, mm. build the plant. And uh, now we've got uh, basically a waiting list of investors oh, wow. who want wow. to invest in the project. And so what we, you know, just to give you a, a bit of, you know, technical background, the, um, the co-op or, or the financial side of the co-op is governed by the Financial Services and Regulatory Authority of Ontario. And or FISRA for short, and FISRA also governs uh, credit unions, um, um, insurance companies, um, lenders uh, like uh, mortgage uh, mortgage lenders, for example, uh, and they also uh, govern or regulate um, the cooperative renewable energy co-op sector, and so we have to, and I'm in the middle of this now. Uh, put together uh, an offering statement. Um, so this is basically a whole history of the organization, how the organization works, and how the organization is gonna earn money to pay back those who invest. Mm -hmm. And so the offering statement has to be approved by FISRA, and then that gives us the ability to sell bonds to the, um, to the community. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, usually there's a cap put on how much you can sell hmm. uh, on, a, on a given offering statement. Offering statements are also time limited. Uh, so usually, you know, they're, they la they're in effect for about a year. So you have a year to sell a certain amount of bonds and there's a term attached to it. So, it, you know, our, our last uh, offering statement, for example, uh, we were selling bonds with a five-year term at 5% or a 15-year term at 5.5%. Mm. So our members are, are um, you know, 5% is a, is a relatively good interest rate. Um, but I would say that our investors, you know, if I can, if I can give a little profile of the average investor, um, you know, they are people who are certainly interested in getting a return on their money, but almost more than that, they're interested in, making an impact with their money. Mm. So using their investments for the social or environmental good of the community. Mm. And um, that is a very interesting and very helpful feature um, because they are invested not just financially, but emotionally as well. Right. And so when you have to uh, go to an AGM and give some bad news, um, it, it's never easy, but there's the feeling that they're in it with you. So they're like, okay, we understand that, um, that, uh, this is a, the plant is in a startup mode here and that things don't always go smoothly with startups. You don't always make a profit from day one. So I would say our investors are phenomenal, very understanding and incredibly supportive. And, and is there, uh, Rob, a limit to what qualifies as an investor? You know, can it can it only be, you know, you, Lisa, and myself as individuals who might hold it in our TFSA or in our RSP account, or can it be, you know, family offices? Can you know, what what is there a limit under your regulations of who can be a, an investor? Well, the the minimum investment is five hundred dollars. Uh, there's no maximum. Uh, so our investors range from, 
university students to uh, family offices, foundations, okay. um, community organizations, um, grandparents buying for their grandchildren. Um, okay. You know, there's there's a broad range. I, I would tend, I would say that that our average investor skews towards um, you know tends to be older. Um, which you know is not surprising. They've got a probably a little more uh, uh, money on hand, and um, but uh, the the I would say the common thread with our investors is that they are values driven impact investors. Cool. Yeah, and so it's you know another part of my job is to help create a community. You know these we've got all these like minded people who are investing in this this values-driven investment. And so, you know, part of my, from a, I would say, in wearing my communications hat, part of my role is to bring people together and, and mm. uh, connect people and, um, and uh, you know, just really, really um, let people know that we're all in this together and, and this is a great project and this is this is the social and environmental impact that we're making. And Rob, just a, a quick question with regards to the investment piece. What happens if somebody wants to get out of the co-op? So, you know, you take an investor that maybe has invested $500,000, let's say, and, you know, obviously there's a term, there's an interest rate there but they want to get out of it early. It's, it's uh, presumably they're just being, they're being penalized for that. But what does that look like out of curiosity? Yeah. So that's, uh, that rarely happens. Um, I'm not sure if it has ever happened, but okay. um, again, people are investing in this um, not just for financial return, but, but it's, it's a values choice. Right. Um, but definitely there's an opportunity to bring that to the board of directors and the board of directors has the power to approve or not approve uh, mm. the request. But it's not a it's not a liquid investment. You know, you can't go to the the TSX and sell your your bonds um, you uh, because it is a sort of a, a, a private investment. It's it's um, a little more, I would say, complicated and probably a little more, there are more steps involved in, in liquidating your investment if you uh -huh. want to do that before the end of the term. Uh, you mentioned at some point the fact that, you know, many of your investors are doing this because, you know, for the greater good, because it's a renewable project, they're contributing. And I noticed you're wearing a certain brand of, uh, of yeah. shirt today. <laughs> I, do, you, do you know the story? Well, first of all, for our listeners, who, so, yes. what, what brand of shirt are you wearing? I guess. So I've got a Patagonia today. jacket on today, and right. um, I used to sell. I used to represent Patagonia. And, um, and did, have you heard the story as of yesterday? I have. It was announced. Yeah. You know what? Did Yvonne you know Schwinard is. Uh, he is the owner of Patagonia and uh, the founder of Patagonia, and is um, I, I would say somebody that I I look to as uh, as a business person yeah. on how businesses should mm. be run. You know, I, 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 I think he's, uh, yeah, he is um, somebody who leads his organization uh, values first, deep concern for the environment. And, and if you haven't heard the story, he has basically, um, Patagonia, enormously successful organization um, and he has basically created some sort of trust 
which will take the profits from Patagonia and invest those profits uh, into um, environmental conservation and preservation. Yeah, and, and I was I just I brought up the article here. It's some hundred hundred million dollars a year will yeah. be used to combat climate change and everything through this trust. So yeah, yeah, interesting yeah. story. A real, and, and I, just, I would say a real sort of business leader for sure, yeah. visionary yeah. and leader. And uh, so yeah, you know, it's it's a it's a company that I've long supported both in in my business as as well as a consumer. Um, I. Be, not just because they make you know good quality durable um, clothing for the outdoors, but because of the values behind the organization. You know, it's it's more than just purchasing a product; it's purchasing uh, a, a, a it's a value set purchase. Yeah. And you know that that sort of if I can just sort of um, give a plug for an, an another organization, I. Um, I'm the chair of the board of a not-for-profit organization called Fashion Takes Action, which focuses on working with uh, consumers, um, manufacturers, and big brands on making uh, the textile industry more sustainable. <clears throat> and uh, so, you know, I, I um, it's an organization that is doing tremendous work with, especially with the big brands in making their products and the way they manufacture, uh, the way they distribute, uh, and and the way they produce much more sustainable. And so that is, uh, you know, something that I do in my in my spare time. But uh, again, it's it's something that agrees with my my personal values. And uh, and I like to support it with, you know, in this case, with the clothes I wear. Very cool. Awesome. Well, hey, Rob, this has been a fun discussion. Uh, really kind of touched on a bunch of stuff. Um, less, you know, less on the technical side and more on kind of the the impetus for why you do what you do and, and how to finance it and how to educate people about it, which, you know, are really, really important matters to be discussing. And so as we kind of wind down here, where, how or where is the best place for uh, our listeners to get a hold of, of you or of ZooShare and, and learn more and, and connect uh, if they if they would like to do so. Yeah, the best way to connect is, of course, through our website at zooshare.ca. And uh, on the site, you'll find information about investing, uh, information about the history, the leadership team, and uh, uh, any communications that we put out. Uh, if you're interested in a tour, there's a section on plant tours, uh, so you can reach us reach me directly at rob at zooshare.ca or just send one to our general mailbox at info at zooshare.ca. Great. Well, thank you uh, again. I know. Thank you, you very much, Rob. Yeah, you're, you're busy uh, making sure the facility runs and, and thinking about the next thing and the next thing and keeping 800 members happy at the same time. So <laughs> we, we appreciate your time and, and your willingness to share. And uh, to our listeners, uh, we hope that this was a good time, a good education, uh, an opportunity to think about some new ideas and some new approaches to either financing or uh, educating others about your projects. Uh, thank you to Lisa for pulling this together as always. Uh, and until next time, remember, as we go through this energy transition, you're not alone. Uh, let's share ideas and share our projects and we'll uh, we'll navigate it together. Thank you. Mm -hmm.